want to start this morning by telling you about uh, a man who came to live on an island called uh, Lubang in uh, the Philippines on December 26, 1944 in World War II. Uh, he's a Japanese man called Hiru Onoda and uh, he's a pretty interesting guy. He was given the charge to be a guerrilla fighter in this island. So the job was, you need to work behind enemy lines, you need to disrupt what's happening on the island, and the person who gave him the charge said, you and your little team, above everything else, you must not surrender. Above everything else, you must not surrender. Do your job, never surrender. Okay, so he started doing that in 1944, December of 1944. On the 15th of August, uh, 1945, Japan surrendered to America in World War II. In order to communicate this information as widely as possible, not least of all because there's a command and control structure, so if we surrender, everyone should know, uh, they actually flew planes that dropped leaflets like this one out of it that said, announcement, Japan stopped being involved in the war, you need to kind of pack up your stuff and come home. So these leaflets were dropped everywhere. However, this little group that were on Lubang Island decided that the leaflets were clearly a fake, uh, designed to take them away from doing the important job of disrupting the enemy that they'd been given. And so they kept doing it, and kept doing it. And over time, a couple of them were killed, one of them surrendered, until it got down to just the two of them, and then one of those guys was killed, and Hiro was on his own. But he kept it up, knowing that he'd been told at all costs not to surrender. And so he did that until he was found in the jungle by a man who was looking for Hiru Onda, the giant panda and the abominable snowman in that order. And he found him and he said, hey, look, I just want to let you know that um, the war's over. Uh, when did that happen? That happened in 1974. He refused to come out of the jungle because he didn't believe it. And so what they did was they found his commanding officer and sent him into the jungle. And his commanding officer in 1975 uh, met him, told him to stand down and that he could come out of the jungle. And so here he is in March the 10th, 1975, 25 years later, handing over his sword and his still functioning rifle to the head of the Philippines. Now, that, that is event. That, that's an event that is an absolute milestone in the whole of our world, World War II coming to an end, in particular, the war with Japan. But he was an individual who missed it. He missed it. How could you miss it, you would have to think? How could it be possible that you would miss this absolutely world-changing event? Well, intriguingly, the Thessalonians were worried. This little church that Paul had planted in Thessalonica, that church was worried that they had missed something too. They were worried that, that they'd missed something huge. It's intriguing though, isn't it? Because uh, every day we, we get told not to miss things. Uh, There's a Black Friday sale uh, on Friday. And I got in my email from my favourite cycle provider of goodness, Wiggle, if you're not on it and you're a cyclist, you need to get on it. But I got, I got an email and it said, limited stock, don't miss out. 
on the one hand, we have Hiro Onda who has t missed out one of the huge things in life. Here we have something totally inconsequential that most of you don't even care about. Did you know you missed out on Wiggles Good Friday sale? How, how could that happen without it changing your world? Here's the thing. Big or small, the fear of missing out is, is real. However, it's far more significant for the Thessalonians. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, now being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. What were they, what were they afraid that they'd missed? Jesus' return. The day of the Lord has already come. We're worried we missed it. Paul says, don't be alarmed. Uh, he says in verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So Paul writes to this agitated church and he says to them, look, uh, Jesus' coming is something not to miss. You'll, you'll enjoy it. It'll be worth waiting for. Jesus' coming is very important, but it will be preceded. It won't happen until something truly unmissable occurs. So, so don't miss Jesus' coming, but I can encourage you now, church, you haven't missed his coming because something truly unmissable hasn't happened yet. The truly unmissable thing, this truly unmissable something is this man of lawlessness. And I think Paul's teaching on this was clear. You, you guys were with me when we did uh, earlier in, in the first letter to the Thessalonians. It spoke about the return of Jesus, talked about the believers being caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Do you think you would have missed that? Well, I'm still on the ground and I'm a believer. Perhaps it hasn't happened yet. So I would have thought Paul's teaching on it was clear. More than that, when it comes to prophecy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, yes, we're supposed to not treat prophecy with contempt, but by the same token, we're supposed to test everything. So even if there was a prophecy that said, ah, the day of the Lord has come, what they should have done was checked it out. They should have tested the prophecy. And so what we need to see here is they had good teaching and they'd been told to treat prophecy with discernment. And yet they were still afraid that they'd miss Jesus' coming. Let me encourage you this morning, church, let the truth and not fear guide us. Let the truth and not fear guide us. When it comes to the return of Jesus, and Jeff and I were talking just before, often a little cult will come up every now and again that will say, we know the day of the Lord is coming. Come and join us, sell all your property, and we'll get ready for the coming of the day of the Lord. Have you heard these sort of things? That's the mark of a cult, essentially. And what do they feed off? A fear and the idea of there being secret information that only a few of us have. The idea here is it'll be big. You won't miss it. So let the truth guide you, not fear. Let the truth guide you, not fear. So how can you be sure? How can you be sure that this is the way to go? Well, I want to make a quick point about this particular chapter here in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Paul had taught the church, and so Paul had spoken with the church. And he'd also written to the church. And uh, we have Paul's writing, and they had Paul's speaking. So there are things that they knew. Paul told them a whole bunch of stuff. There are things that we know, some of which he'd already told them, 
and some of which we have in the letter here. There's a third set of things. Things Paul wrote, uh, sorry, Paul wrote, or Paul said that they knew but we don't. Okay, sorry, I'll say that a bit more carefully because I think the word should be said rather than wrote there. So Paul spoke to the church, but he hasn't written down all the things he spoke to the church. Does that make sense? So he reminds them of some of the things that, they've said, that he said to them before, and that's in our letter. That's the little green section. But there is a whole bunch here that he spoke to them about that isn't in our letter. And some of the things that we want to go, hey, what does that mean, fall into this category of things he spoke to them that aren't written down for us in our letter. Okay, I'll explain as we go through. Okay, so who are we looking for? The man of lawlessness. It sounds like a pretty big title, doesn't it? And when the rebellion occurs, well, when you look through human history, you'll find some candidates, won't you? If you're in Thessalonica, you might have thought about the emperors. The emperors set themselves up and started to ask people to worship them. Caligula, Caligula arguably, had said that he wanted an image of himself put into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. How do you reckon that would have gone down? Well, just in case you're wondering, not very well. Uh, so there was this pressure from the people like uh, the, the Roman Caesars. And then you get someone like Adolf Hitler who comes up, who clearly is asking a lot, isn't he, of people? A certain allegiance, a certain place in the national life. Well, have a look at the description that Paul gives us here in verse 4. It says that the man of lawlessness, the one doomed to destruction, he says, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Proclaiming himself to be God. Well, the first thing to note here is um, God's temple doesn't exist anymore, right? So past AD 70, the, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. When it says sets himself up in God's temple, I think it's saying two things. First of all, he attempts to take God's worship. So the one who is the lawless one will say, I am God. And when it says in God's temple, I think it's actually trying to say in God's place. So whether it's the physical building in Jerusalem, not possible anymore, but in God's place. I will put myself on the world stage and I will say, I am God, you must worship me. Now I think that's pretty instructive because there aren't too many people who do that, are there? There are lots of people who think they're very important. I want your taxes. I want to send your kids overseas to fight for me. That's a whole bunch of things, right? But to say I'm God and to put myself in God's place, that doesn't happen very often. So I want to say to you this morning, there'll be lots of evil men. There'll be lots of evil men. They are not always the lawless one. Are you with me? So terrible evil can still happen in the world and it may not be that this terrible person is the evil one, the lawless one. So I think there's an audacity here that we won't miss. So you won't be able to say, oh, I think maybe, uh, you, know, maybe you don't like uh, the new president-elect in America or something, and you think, gracious me, it's the end of the world. Well, I'd say to you, however arrogant or otherwise he may or may not be, you will not hear him say, I'm God, you should worship me. 
So when we start crossing over to that line, I'm saying to you, you will start to see something very profound happen. You won't miss it, and this person won't just be evil, won't just be powerful, won't just be arrogant, but will be demanding God's place in the world. I think that will be utterly unmissable. So when will he come? That's the next question, isn't it? Okay, great. So we're not going to miss it, but tell me when. When's it going to happen? Uh, I like this picture. I had to work hard to find this picture. Um, do, do you know the rodeo? We don't really have rodeos here, but they put a crazy big bull in a tiny pen, right? And then some, I don't know, some temporary American uh, decides to hop on top of them and they open the gate and they go crazy. I think they do it in Australia as well, don't they? There's a big rodeo in Picton. Get out there and check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Anyway, the point being that prior to the release of this gate, there is this extraordinary amount of energy caged up in this tiny little space, and the person's sitting on top of it, and there's a person holding the gate, holding it close. Until that little pin comes out, guess what? No bull action. Nothing happens. But when you pull that pin, (laughs) be ready for the absolute craziness. And so I love this picture, because this is the bull at the gate, being held back, waiting to burst forth, and I assume rearrange some overly audacious human. Uh, so that's it. But, but I think that's exactly the picture here in verse 5. Have a look with me. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Okay, right, so man of lawlessness, ready to come, there is someone who's holding him back and he'll continue to hold him back until the time. And so I think we naturally want to go, what's going on here? First of all, we should note that currently he's being held back, at least in Paul's time, he was being held back. That's good to know. He is able to be restrained, he's not an agent on his own, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? He can't do whatever he wants. He's being held back until the proper time. Uh, Secondly, what I want us to note, note well, is this falls into the category, so we go, so who's holding him back? Well, this falls into the category of what Paul said that they knew, but we don't. Are you with me? So Paul says, you know very well what I told you about the one who's holding it back. And we go, yeah, yeah. And then Paul doesn't tell us because the church he'd spoken to already knew. Are you with me? Okay, so what do we know? Well, all we know is that he's being held back. It's interesting his name. So he's called the lawless one. I'm wondering if the rule of law holds back the lawless one. Okay, And so anyone who's in an organization or a government or or an authority that's still ruling with order and law is holding back the lawless one. So while we have order in society, while we have things operating in an ordered way, I'm thinking we haven't yet seen the lawless one. So, speculation. Does the rule of law hold back the lawless one? Potentially. And so therefore, rulers, the one who's holding him back, are rulers and authorities on earth who are stopping the outbreak of this maniac. It's good to know. I'm glad they're in place. 
I want you to note, what can we get from all of this speculation? Because we kind of want to go, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. What does God tell us? He only tells us what we need to know, and he tells us exactly what we need to know. I think we need to know, we need to trust, that even this is still under God's control. Even this, even this man's coming is still under God's control. So what will it look like when he comes? Uh, Well, it'll look a little bit like this, uh, the three-cup trick. Have you ever seen anyone do the three-cup trick? Do you know what the three-cup, am I on my own here? You know, you've got a ball and three cups, and they put the ball under the cup, and then they, and then they go, is it under that one? No. And then then there it is. Anyway, don't worry. Um, Google it when you go home. It's really fun. Uh, so anyway, so the point is, it de- it's about deception. It's about deception. The ball's always there, but there's a special way. They have a trick and a way to deceive you. That's exactly what's going to happen here, but turned up to 11. Have a look at verse 9 with me. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. This is so interesting. We just need to note this here. How does Satan work in the world? Jesus calls him elsewhere the father of what? Does anyone know? Father of lies. His job is to deceive. Do you remember back in the Garden of Eden? What does he whisper to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? That's how he starts his temptation of them. Not just, they, the fruit looks pretty good, get into it. He actually starts by undermining the authority of God by saying, actually, did God really say? He's a deceiver. He's a liar. So how does the man of lawless works? Well, he works in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. It's intriguing, isn't it? When this one comes who claims to be God, it won't just be that he's got a good PR team. There will be genuine supernatural power at work. So you'll look at it, and I think it's fair to say, we'll see miracles. Where will the glory be going for these miracles? To the one claiming to be God. That's how you'll tell. When miracles are done in Jesus' name, where does the glory go? Pass it on. If you see a genuine agent of Jesus at work, what will they be doing? They'll be always turning attention from themselves to the living Jesus who's their Lord and Savior, yeah? Here we'll see supernatural, evil, deceptive power at work, and what it will be doing is flowing to the one who is claiming to be God. And more than that, we'll be looking and we'll be going, that is actually unusual. There is no good rational scientific explanation for that. There's some power at work here. We should follow that bloke. It's going to be compelling. It'll be powerful. It will be absolutely out of the normal. But the way you, church, will pick it up is that you'll see where the glory's flowing. You'll see where the glory's flowing. And if it's not passing it on, if it's being accumulated into a full head of steam, guess what? It's the deceiver in accordance with the works of Satan. Deception defines this evil person, a deceiver. And their coming is almost a parody of Jesus. So Jesus came powerfully. It says in the Bible that he was a man accredited to you by signs and wonders. So we look at Jesus and we know he's God's man because of what he does. Here, the evil person does signs and wonders, but they're to take us away from God. 
So it's a parody of Jesus' coming. Something amazing happens, though. I'd love you to have a look with me at, uh, at, verse, at verse, um, verse 8. First of all, what a cool picture, hey? Uh, if you're, are there any, any Narnia fans out here? There should be more. Okay, I'm a little disappointed. If you're not a Narnia fan, go read them. Uh, in there, C.S. Lewis pictures God as Aslan, the great lion. And I absolutely love the picture of the lion. Always massively powerful, but at the same time incredibly soft and intimate for those who are his friends. Great picture. And there's that famous line. He is not a tame lion. Beautiful. So here's this picture of a lion. And uh, can you see his breath? I don't know how often it gets that cold in, uh, in, uh, in Africa, so I'm guessing it's probably in a zoo in London or something like that. But, but here you can see his breath, right? All that power and all we can see there, though, it's just standing still and we can just see his breath. Have a listen to these beautiful words in verse 8. And, the law, and, the, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. And that's a bit church where you just go, yeah! I can feel that. You're with me, aren't you? Russ, thank you. I see that. Ra. Uh, church, this is when we should get excited, right? I love seeing a wicket taken in the cricket. I love it when goals are scored by my side. I love a try in, in, in rugby union. I, I, I love those things. And people get out of their seats and get excited. Church, this is us kicking goals, right? This is our conversion, in inverted commas. This is the stuff. This is our ultimate victory here. And how much sweat was raised. I want you to see what's the destination of the man of lawlessness. The destination of the man of lawlessness is destruction. That is where he is heading. Here's your CV, man of lawlessness. You're the man of lawlessness. Very good. And the next thing we read is you'll be deceptive and you'll have some miracles. That's good. And you'll be destroyed. That's the full resume. It's already written. We have it all laid out for us. And I want you to see his destruction is effortless. This great world power, this one who sets themselves up, this one with signs and wonders, this one who will intimidate, this one who will win the world over with deception. How much of a sweat will Jesus raise? None. He'll be destroyed by the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. It won't even be like Jesus lands on top of him and squashes him. The splendor, the glory of the incoming Son of Man will destroy the man of lawlessness. And all God's people said, oh, that's pretty good. What I want you to learn from this, I want you to learn this really, really clearly. The first thing is, it is not a binary universe. Now, Luke, we should talk to you at some time about universes and how universes are made up. But, but here's the thing. When it comes to spiritual things, it's not a binary universe. There isn't a yin and a yang. There isn't a strong evil power and a strong good power having an arm wrestle for the future of the world. That is not Christian. It is not a binary universe. There aren't two great evil gods fighting. That's paganism. We have a sovereign creator who made everything. The whole of human history is his story. 
What that means for us is Jesus' breath is all that is needed to destroy the one who opposes him. That's it. He breathes on him. How can I know that? Because the universe was established by his words. And inside the universe that he created, one will raise themselves up to oppose him. How will he be destroyed? (sighs) By the breath of his mouth. I want you to know, church, when this man of lawlessness comes, it will get worse. It will be a terrible time for you to be a Christian. But here's the encouragement that Paul writes, even as things appear to get worse, remember that Jesus wins. Remember that Jesus wins. By his breath. So what are those that believe? Uh, It's interesting. There's a future for those that believe and those that don't. I want you to tell me, if I had a um, a glass here of poison, uh, how much of it do you think you could safely consume? Is there a safe amount that you would like to drink from my poisonous cup? Here's the lie. that The lie is that it's possible to drink poison and live. It's possible to have a little bit of rebellion, a little bit of wickedness, just the right amount of lawlessness and face God and think we'll survive. And it's a lie. There's no safe drinking quantity of poison. And so we see that here and it's laid out. It's spelled out for us, church, and we need to listen. Here's what it says. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that, they, so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You start down the, the path of drinking poison and you will die. You delight in wickedness and reject the truth, you will face condemnation. Delighting in wickedness and delusion will equal destruction for you. And you think, well, what, hang on, hang on, how does this work? Is God, is God making them, is God putting them in trouble? Well, here's what it says about the they. They refuse to love the truth, they believe the lie, and they delight in wickedness. Will that make you friends with God? I can give you an answer if you're looking for prompting. Will that make you friends with God? No, it will not. And God confirms their wickedness and their hard hearts by sending them a powerful delusion. So they believe the lie, and the outcome of that is that he will condemn them. But I want you to remember what I told you a couple of weeks ago. We must hold firm to this. God is just. He will only ever do what is right and true and proper. God is just. And can I encourage you to learn and love the truth? Because if you persist in wickedness, it will not work out for you. Learn to delight in the truth. And wonderfully, that won't be everyone. Everyone will not be condemned on that day. Um, How good is it when you get to the first strawberries of a season? I think we're now getting to the back end of that season. Is that right? I have some in my fridge this morning, which were looking a little bit bit risky. I took some edges off them and they they were okay. But don't you love it when we get to the start of a new fruit season and you just go, oh, they're back again. Do you not know this, church? When it's mandarin time for me, I'm like, happy days. That first mandarin is just like, oh, I've missed you. No, I'm really on my own. That's great. Okay, all right. Well, there's a concept here of first fruits, the start 
the lead, the first fruits. Have a listen to these verses here, um, verses 13 to 14. Uh, Paul says, but we, also, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does he say here? God's choice is great, great comfort, isn't it? God says, I chose you. I've already appointed you to be saved. I chose you. Secondly, we're sanctified and saved by God. Who does all the hard work? God. We're washed clean. That's the sanctified. We're saved, made safe on the final day by our own hard effort. No. We can't achieve salvation. We must receive salvation. So it's all God's work. And God uses belief in the gospel to save. So we hear the good news and we say, yes, that's what I want. I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. You saw those crosses that Michael put up there before. They're my bad marks, but they're washed away by Jesus. And I think first fruits sound hopeful. Because when I have my first Mandarin, I don't think, well, Mandarins are done. I think Mandarin time has come. And so I think first fruits sound hopeful of a future harvest. So he writes to the church and says, little church in Thessalonica, you are the first fruits. What do I think that means? It means there'll be more. There's a harvest yet to come. And so I want to encourage you, let's prayerfully keep looking to see new life in every home, church. This right here this morning, have a quick look around. This is first fruits. I'm so excited to tell you that. I'm so excited to tell you that. We're starting a new service next year. And you know what? At 6 p.m., New Life at Night is going to start having people in it. People who aren't at church now. People who don't know Jesus now. You are the first fruits. And honestly, I cannot wait. Prayerfully under God, we want this to be a church of a thousand in 10 years' time. Who believes that? So here's the thing. You're the first fruits. Who's doing the saving work? Well, we're going to work. We're going to pray we're going to connect and care and communicate and lead people to commit. What do I want to see, though? I want to see God at work turning these first fruits into a harvest. You know when the best clouds are? I, 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 do, I do sunrise photography. It's my thing I do on holidays. This is a picture I took on Easter Sunday about seven years ago. The best sunrises are after the storm because you've got all this cloud in the air, Right? And so I, I go out no matter what the weather looks like because I'm going, just break through. If you break through, this will be brilliant. This will be brilliant. 2 Thessalonians, 5, uh, 2, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 to 17 says this. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And listen to this beautiful prayer. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Bring it on. Bring it on. Stand firm, hold fast. Even as the storm clouds come in, do you know what? There's going to be a beautiful day of the coming of the Lord Jesus and it will transform that night into glorious sunrise. Stand firm, hold on, even as it gets worse. Even as it gets worse. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, look at these words, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. You have encouragement this morning to hang on. So let's have a look. 
Let's go with the things that we know that God told us through Paul this morning. Number one, you won't miss out. There'll be no hiru onodas on that day. You won't be holding out going, did I miss Jesus coming? You won't miss it. It's going to be glorious. You won't miss out. Secondly, I want you to remember today, Jesus wins. He wins. It'll get dark. It'll get hard. There will be a a terrible man at some point in human history, maybe soon. As it happens, you need to remember his breath and the fact that Jesus wins. So brothers and sisters, what I want to encourage you right now to do is hold fast. Hold fast, no matter how hard it gets, that we might be standing ready on the day when our Saviour returns. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great and glorious truths here. Father, there are things that could fill us with fear, but in place of fear, you give us internal, eternal encouragement and good hope. Father, thanks that these are grounded in your word and your promises and the power of your Son. Father, may we worship and glorify him, and may you graciously turn these first fruits into a harvest so that many more will be standing with us on that day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.